This is Ryan Stegman. I draw Venom for Marvel Comics, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. In the pocket. That's what they call a strike in bowling terms. You're in the pocket, my friend. That's what we should do. I'm down. Next convention. What? We just could go bowling. No, come on now. What? You don't have to sell me on it. We've talked about this. I don't... I hate bowling. We've talked about this many times. Always so waiting for a commission to go bowling. I think I'm being scolded. Well, because we... Talk, that's, that's how I learned you were an excellent bowler. And then I thought, well, that's interesting because I can't stand bowling. And then, yeah. You, you say it with such venom in oh, your voice. Yeah. No, I, I really... Yeah, I... How can uh, any a lot of disdain for it? B- seriously, mm. hugely. <sighs> All right then. Maybe Tony was right. Oh, please, come <laughs> on now. I don't see how anyone can can dislike such a perfect sport as bowling. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a thing it's a of beauty. Plebes. Oh, good God! <laughs> We're just gonna move on. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah, we gotta, should, right? You gotta say something you're gonna regret. I know. <laughs> That's all right. Well, you're lively bunch tonight. We, we do every week. Uh, so. We do waiting for all I know, you got a seven minute intro. Who knows? As if I played music in the beginning. It's the same <laughs> intro every time. Nobody died this weekend. Oh no. Hey everybody. Look at this. It's eleven o'clock comics episode. 649. We're on the precipice. Yes. And I'm Vince B. Oof. You are Vince B. Uh, I am David A. Price. All very true. And I, of course, am Shinobi Shaw. No. Oh, that's good. That's good. I get that one. I actually get a fucking reference. Nice. Back from the dead, like a good upstart should be. Oh. Mutant related. Yes, Sebastian's gotcha. Long dear departed son now back again. But you're not Shinobi Shaw. You're Jason Wood. And you don't have to beat a dead horse to get rock the lowest, absolute lowest prices on your comics, graphic novels, and other bric a brac from the previous catalog. All you got to do is go over to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. You'll get it all and more, such as from Rebellion. This month, we have the best of 2000 AD number one. Mm-hmm. Some some guy named Alan Moore, uh, another gentleman right. uh, named Dan Abnett, John Wagner, Jamie McKelvey, Colin McNeil. What more do you want? It's 100 pages. Cover price is four ninety nine. Not for you. You are going to bring this little gentleman home for a lousy $2.74 for 100 pages. Are you silly? It's stupid. It, it is. It's ridiculously... It's, a, it's a, an embarrassment of riches is what it is. Secondly, over at Ad House, our buddy Matthew Allison. Yes, sir. Kangor. That's how Matthew says it. So that's how I will say it. Kangor. The uh, collected edition is 19.95 cover price. And there's added pages. 
reworked pages, rewritten pages, bonus stuff. It's amazing. Uh, but you can bring it to your little bat cave for a lousy $13.97. Third and not last, but uh, these guys are really taking a good old command of our hearts. It's no brow. Oh, this, yeah. Yeah, this thing is called Gamayun Tales. Uh, volume one it's written and drawn by alexander utkin and uh what it says here is uh these gamayan tales are fresh and modern adaptations of familiar slavic folk tales teamed with bold and beautiful illustrations and that is very true as the cover will attest i didn't even do my cursory google search on this i looked at the front cover and i said that sucker will be mine ding mm -hmm. because even at 1995, it's a, a value. But this is not 1995. It's 30% of that, and that's $13.97. Save money, people. Go to Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com. Yes, Indeed. Sa yeah. Save it. Save the children. <laughs> ah. I have a long uh, and varied history with Sally Struthers. I bet. Oh, oh really? Yes. Why this? Sally Struthers used to be the spokesperson for the organization for which I worked. Remember, Sally Struthers would say, hey, you want to make money? Sure, we all do. Oh, yes. Oh, that's right. Yes. I, Sally Struthers came to the um, production offices one day. She was a cute little mm -hmm. thing. And uh, I met her, and that's that's the story of that. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Plus, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. Well, that I figured you were going with that direction. I figured. Yeah. No, she actually, I, I, in a sense, worked for her. What her with her being the spokesperson for twenty three years. Uh huh. Yeah. Sweet. Cool beans. Very cool. My face. You saw hair. her go from, yeah, from thin to not so thin. Oh yeah. Um, and when Hefner offered her a million dollars to pose nude, he was on the money because there was a time when little Sally was in the pocket. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's always been a beautiful, beautiful woman, but um, she was more what the uh, she was more what Playboy was looking for at one time. Uh huh. Yeah. I, any shape. I mean, I'm not judging her by her shape because I think she's a wonderful person, did a lot of wonderful charity work. Um, but, yes, yeah, she was the little QB doll at one point. And good on Hef for trying. Yeah. But she says, he nah, pretty much son. made the attempt with almost every woman of any kind of import. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. I'm not mad at it. Nope. No. You would not get away with that this uh, in this current climate no well, that's why he stopped that's why he stopped doing it well that and people weren't buying the magazine anymore well i, I mean it was all hand in hand I right mean, right yeah he was really done in by the he was always there was that gray area that well not a gray area really, but there was a market for titillation yep and uh online pornography completely destroyed his business well all it of just, them really yeah, but, no, I know yeah. what you're saying, but like the, it just became such a tame idea to have, and he just couldn't, he couldn't recover from it. If you stacked up all of the purveyors of 
lightweight pornography. Some not lightweight. Like you got Larry Flint, Bob Guccione, and Junior, and Hugh Hefner. I think Hugh was the least offensive out of all of them. Yeah. With Flint being the absolute most yeah. offensive, you know? Yes. But I got love for all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Guccione had a hand in one of my f- favorite movies of all time, Caligula. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure. Flint with Screw. I used to die to get Screw. I'd go to New York City just to get it. I'd smuggle it home so Mom wouldn't see it. <laughs> it was a filthy newspaper, but mm-hmm. it had a long history of, of excellent cartoonists working for it. And, and within think- it. Someone needs to publish, uh, reprint all the the Screw magazine. I think Danny Hellman has something to do with it. Like he had either had an online archive of covers or content, but Danny and Screw are are, are and um, a lot of our favorite cartoonists have been touched by Screw. But we'll get into that some other time. Dan Klaus, like a bunch of them. Klaus, Klaus, get out of the corner. Not that uh, I haven't read Screw, but I enjoyed Penthouse Comics a lot. Yes, indeed. There's some really talented mainstream big two artists in those stories, too. Back when Adam Hughes could actually finish a page. Right. Yes, yes. Yep. And, wow, and, that was a very long time ago. I know. Kevin <laughs> McGuire, Kevin McGuire drawing the, uh, drawing the soft core. And yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of good stuff in those books. Yep. What was her name? Um, the the female superhero that McGuire did, and I remember oh. she would she would actually have the relations like yes in the ah, damn. yeah it's whatever we'll figure it out we'll go we know what we should revisit Penthouse Comics absolutely why the um, hell not shit. can we get I mean but how are we gonna get them I have they, them. they haven't reprinted them have they I have them. Okay, I have them available for you. Should you decide okay, so that to maybe that maybe that should be a a patron bonus episode? Okay, I mean and, I'm down for it. I just yeah. I don't know. If- Speaking of patron bonus episodes, there's this thing we got the Patreon Patreon.com forward slash eleven o'clock comics that has a slightly uh, upscale coat of paint because we have not one but two new. Yeah, 11 o'clock comics album art images the main is being done by matthew allison and the patreon is by mr jay gonzo mm-hmm. and this may be one of them we'll see uh because i want to get it out there even though i did the dcbs thing at the beginning i, I want to slap jay gonzo's art on this episode because last episode you were introduced to allison's this episode i want you to see gonzo's on there just to yeah. get you accustomed to you know the cycle I was going to say, speaking of Gonzo, we need to, um, and this is, I've been meaning to do this. I just, we need to get up on the finale of La Mano del Destino. We do. Yeah. I, I was trying to reread it from the start, and I have all the issues, obviously, as you all do, but they're in long boxes, or I should say they're in a long box, and it's, it's, I have had trouble finding it. Not that it's just, because it's like at the bottom of a bunch of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I, but it's it's been too long, so I need to either get digis from him or 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 unpack the 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 damn other issue so I can I can give him the read. 
it's my problem exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's not exactly fair to him. No, well, so the reason I bring it up is because we were chat he and I were chatting about uh about the the logo and among other things, and he was very very polite but kind of with the whole like, "Hey, did you end up liking the way, you know, the last issue?" and I said, "My dude." And I'm like, "I feel so bad. I I I hope you don't think we're we're blowing you off." I I said, "I can't speak for them, but I assume it's the same thing. I just I wanted to read it back from the start." Yep. And uh and no excuse, but but I just I got to get the issues handy. And then he was like, "Oh, that he's like I I could send you new ones." And I'm like, "Dude, you don't need to send us new copies. That's crazy. Yeah, I just need to freaking find them." But well, he's yeah. got to have PDFs because he did send them to a printer. So okay, well there you go. Maybe we can get the PDFs to solve the conundrum because I very much am looking forward to reading the the, the sixth issue. Yes, as am I. Mm-hmm. Deb. Yes, sir. Let's switch things up. Get all crazy. What are you drinking? Wow. Um, I am uh, having the sixth and final bottle from Gigantic and their Hellboy offering. This is uh, Trevor Brutenholm, British barley wine, uh, because I made burgers for dinner and I had some whiskey, so I didn't want to have wine at the end of that. And, And this actually comes off the it was a bourbon and it, it was a one-to-one ratio ounce of ounce of bourbon ounce of rye and this actually uh follows it up really really nicely of course this was sent to us by our good friend darren helsel this is a uh, 9.99 percent alcohol by volume damn uh it is 1.9 fluid 16.9 ounces and uh, as soon as i am done Enjoying this, I have uh, some bottled water next to me. What nice. are you drinking, Jason? <laughs> I'm drinking just plain water. This is, I wish I could be more exciting, but I am still getting over this bronchitis, and I just uh, we got to the work tomorrow, and so. But I'm happy to be here. All right, I guess I'll bring us up. I am drinking. Rebel IPA. Three of them. Wow. Yep. Oh, I did not know Sam Adams made Rebel IPA. But it says so right on the on the label here. One of the uh, many acquisitions I guess they've made to stay competitive in the craft beer huh. world. Samuel Adams Rebel IPA, boldly hopped and yeah. balanced. Last time I drank Rebel IPA, I don't believe it was owned by Sam Adams. Look yeah, at, I think that's probably an acquisition they did. Look at that. Well, I'm drinking three of them. There you go. Yeah. Nice. It's tasty, but it does not fit within the Sam Adams catalog. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Mm-hmm. That's why it's an acquisition. Neat label, too. Very nice. Sweet. Red, red and green. Uh-huh. So let's talk about some books. Do we have any thank yous before we launch into this? I don't have any thank yous myself, I don't think. Uh, No, although we um, might as well announce the um, Book of the Month winner. So we can thank all the patrons for uh, for taking the time to vote. Um, Of the... It was... 
basically, and I, I, I said this in the Slack uh, to the beautiful patrons, that uh, basically it looks like uh, folks love Jason a bit more than they love Vince and I. Uh, see, uh, I, I, I take umbrage with that. Why? I you, don't. Because, I, first of all, I said I would be more than happy to read any of the books that were getting lots of votes. Uh-huh. I didn't have a, a, I didn't have a horse in the race. And then it implies that you guys aren't happy to be reading this, which is like, why did we put it on the list then? Like, it implies that, like, we each had, like, something we were throwing on the list and then saying, man, I really hope that they pick this. And I, I that is not at all how this month went. No, um, it's nice that it won. Yes. But I, mean, I, I feel I'm, like reading this again is the same way you felt like not reading something we were going to put on there last time. But, it, uh, but my, my point being then, why is it on the list? Why is it on the list? It no, just I, happens. I, I, I totally get Jason's point. It just I mean, happens. It's, it's, the, the, there are times where, you know, listen, there's 11 things, and the one thing you think might, like, you know, it's rare we put Batman books on here because pretty much a Batman book is going to win. Yeah, so you got to watch that. Yeah. We're, we're trying not to, you know, massage the folks, point anybody in one direction, but it's... Uh, it, and, you know, to spoil Jason's question early, I've never read this. So this is this is new to me. So I is it something I'd read eventually? I'm sure. But but now I'm reading it for the show. Um, yeah. How, I mean, how many issues is it? I think it's it's just uh, five or six. It's it's only a hundred uh, and some odd pages. Yeah, it's, it's going to go by thing. fast. Yeah. 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 We'll be fine. It's a, it's um, a lot of it set up. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 Ulrich doesn't really pack a lot of panels on a page, so it's not you know it's, I'm not expecting it to be visually dense as much as it's going to be very pretty. Uh, but we're you know bearing the lead here. Yes, X Status Volume One, Good Omens One with 21 percent of the vote um, in alphabetical order. Uh, actually, we'll go in reverse because that was the final. That was the 11th nominee. Uh, your other options were Stuck Rubber Baby, Stray Bullets. Sunshine and Roses, Volume 1, Mystery, Volume 1, Judge Dread: The Complete Case Files, Volume 5, Grumble, Volume 1, You're the Dog Now, Man, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes, Global Frequency, Flaming Carrot Omnibus, which was your second place winner, uh, Brat Pack, and finally, Agents of Atlas, the first uh, Jeff Parker, Leonard Kirk miniseries. But um, yeah, so we will be reading ecstatics at the uh at the end of the month um and then shortly after that we'll have our um 11 o'clock or so get your ballots in if you haven't yet we'll have more info later but uh yeah we're we're looking for pretty cool exciting jam-packed a couple of weeks but um yeah no and i only say that because it's prior to the segment is is that it, when because vince said of all the, th- the top three things, um, ecstatics would probably be your favorite yeah. to visit or revisit in your case, but 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 to to spend time with over flaming carrot and Miss Tree. So so once you said okay, well if you want me to be in a good, you know, so it was the way you kind of phrased it, and well, then shortly to, after hmm. that is when I think we need to go back to the tape because. I said that I had never read Mystery, and you all yep. were laughed and said, oh, you're not going to like it. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know anything about And then I said I very much want to read Flaming Carrot because yes. I own the goddamn book. I did yes. the Kickstarter. Well, it's going, to be on the, it's going to be on the ballot next month. 
Okay. Wait, a Dark Horse Omnibus was Kickstarted? Or maybe it wasn't uh, a Kickstarter. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I, I thought... I wouldn't doubt it, but I mean, that's... No, I mean, no, they don't have, Kickstarter. It, it, it must it have been Kickstarted, but this is a separate collection. Okay. Like, I, yeah, I, it probably... The, I don't know if the, I, I'd have to look again because I have the PDFs. So the because um, I did back it. I don't know if it's everything because this is not. This is missing an issue or two. In, in okay, the so I I definitely have the I, I am I so I have the Kickstarter hardcover. So you're saying that this on the the thing that was on the ballot is something a little different than that. It's it's the book put out by Dark Horse, but I think I don't think the Dark Horse and the Kickstarter collections. Because the, the the Kickstarter stuff was like everything and okay. everything that Bob still has, and this is this is reprinting the Flaming Carrot, but it's it's not it's not every everything. Let's okay. do next book of the month. Mm-hmm. Let's make it an absurd book of the month. Stuff that they'll have to Google each and every one to see what that. I one mean, is. I'm fine with Let's that. Let's just go over the edge. Okay, let's go crazy. All right. Okay. I mean, I'm sure Dap's thinking, Vince, you need to come up with a lot of those lists because sure. that's more your wheelhouse. Sure. But sure, but we'll and we have to make sure it's uh, available for our peoples. Like we couldn't make the Penthouse Comics uh, a book of the month. Not that we would, but right. because it's going to be almost impossible for people to find. Well, it's almost like we should have a scavenger hunt book of the month, where this stuff may not be available. In digital form, and you do have Interesting. to, okay. you know, maybe buy or find one or two of them in order to participate. Uh huh. Okay. The, the, yeah, the, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. The contingency that everything has to be available digitally is great and wonderful because everybody can play, but it does limit you, the the titles from which you can choose. Yes, for sure. And that's weird, even saying that. Yes, dig, digital. Well, di- but, I mean, I know. think. I almost think that it, that the opposite is true. That if it's not available digitally, it limits it because if everybody can't obtain a copy or get it, if it's out of print, well, that and, yeah, hence the whole scavenger hunt thing. No, I, and I'm I'm with yeah, you. Go you, find you know, one. You love hunting for sure. I mean, I I think I mean one of the books is going to be the um, the triple X from the Panda Brothers. Yes, so you and I own that physical, right. but I I, yes. I doubt a whole lot of other people do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Richardson has a stack. He made a couch of them. That it's in his his guest room. Is that a couch made of books? Yeah, it's friggin' Panda yes. Brothers over there. Yes. <sighs> or Exquisite Corpse. What the hell is this? <laughs> oh boy! All right, so let's talk about some comics. Let's do this. Yeah. You got want to do your mutant thing? You know Rama? Yeah, because you've been you've been planning on it, and and I have it all, already written down in the show notes. Mutant Rama, so you better do more than two. No, wow, more, more than two. Okay, well, well, yes, one is yeah. you know two is a pair. I can't. Come on. Okay. Um, well, I guess this setup we have been David and I have been trying to stay current with the. Um, Dawn of X books that uh, is being show run by Mr. Hickman. And I think I've been reading them pretty much as they've been coming out. I think that did a little more batch processing if you were, but um, I am current on all of them save for 
Fallen Angels, which lost me after the <laughs> first issue because of the Simon Kadransky art. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, Where yeah, are you I, in terms of your... Um, I, uh, I have started the fifth issue of X-Force. I am current on Marauders, on the main book. Um, and that is, that is it because, um, I haven't started fallen angels and I haven't started new mutants and Excalibur. I really, really, really was hoping I'd like more than I do. Um, cause it looks great. And, you know, Betsy's back in, in, in her old body and, and, and everything's cool. I'm just not enamored by the team and, and, and Gambit and Jubilee are both on this team. And that's, it's, it's, it's hard for me to get through. So, um, I haven't really been pushing myself to get caught up. I, I, I read the first, I'm, I'm about halfway into the second issue. So I read the first issue and a half of that. So I haven't read three and four, but, um, everything I have read, I have absolutely enjoyed. Okay, so um, where do you want to start? Um, we can start with uh, with Hickman's Done in Ones in the main book. <laughs> you, that's interesting. You think so? You see them as Done in Ones? I, I I I do because I mean, and not to say that there isn't anything connecting them, but you know, you you had the um, we had the first issue. The second issue is is um, is the Summers family going off on an adventure. Uh, the the second issue, um, we meet a new team, uh, and very and the, the the gateways have have been hacked pretty quickly. And uh, and the fourth issue was um, my dinner with Apocalypse. So it was. Um, yeah, I it, it's again they they are they are all connected and and Hickman is telling a story and and you know things are implied but but for the most part I I view each one um there, there's no to be continued at the end of an issue there's nothing that there's no cliffhangers everything just kind of happens within these pages so that's that's what I would that's kind of what I would consider it why I would consider these um done in ones but still part of a whole story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they do definitely have a different focal point each issue by design, but, um, I guess I do, I do, uh, not, I guess I don't characterize it as done in ones though. Cause I do think very much, these are all plots that will be continuing. Um, these aren't just like day in the life of X-Men and we'll never revisit it. I think this is just setting the stage for a lot of different chess pieces that will come back in and interact with one another as needed. Absolutely. So, um, but uh, we should also mention that uh, Lionel Francis Yu is the is the uh, penciler, and uh, Jerry Allen Guyen is the inker. Um, I I think that uh, for me, I, I think this has been as as high quality as the. This has been. I think he's maintained the same level of quality that he uh, put forth in Hawksbox. Um, especially with the, uh, I think the fourth issue just had me absolutely on fleek. Um, I think that he's playing with some ideas and I think 
one of the ways that you can prove to people that you mean what you say mm-hmm. is to put your own rules to the test very quickly. Uh, I know that he wanted everybody to understand, and I mentioned that he talked about this on the podcast that he did, um, that he really, like of, in terms of the Bible for the X-Men, the one thing he wanted people to stop doing was killing killing off X- characters. He thinks it's dumb as fuck, and he thinks that it's it's become a lazy trope that nobody cares about, and he really didn't want that to be part of what was going to happen while he ran the X-Books. And that led some to scratch their head because in um, in X Force, <clears throat> excuse me, Professor Xavier is killed uh, almost immediately. Uh, a bunch of people, a bunch of terrorists, capture Domino. They flay skin off of her, wrap themselves in it, and that allows them to break through the Krakoa barrier because they see it as Domino. And uh, they kill him before the defenses can come to bear. And that had a lot of people kind of losing their minds saying, what the hell? Hickman just said that deaths aren't meaningful, uh, that that he's not going to kill people off for a cheap thrill. And I said, patience, Grasshopper, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. Hickman is a planner and he wouldn't have told the world how stupid he thinks mutant deaths are only to then have the king of the mutants killed the first month of his new launch without purpose. And the purpose, as we now know, is that he wanted to show you that, yes, even Charles Xavier, the goat, can be brought back to life in short order. So it's no, it is not, we should no longer care about these deaths because they're just, as far as, in, as far while he's in control, mutants don't die. They do not die because they brought him back to life like we saw, like we saw others reincarnated many, many times in Hawk's Pox. And uh, he's back. And um, never the worse for wear, it seems. Another interesting thing in the X-Book is we speculated a lot about whether Charles was really Charles. Because yes. he never took off Cerebro. <laughs> and then in issue number four, Vincent number four, they basically, the, the powers that be, Charles, Apocalypse, Magneto, um, as well as Cyclops and Gorgon, who are their security detail, basically, go to the United Nations for a sit-down meeting with the uh, G7. And uh, Xavier takes his cerebral out, often sits down, and he's, he's good old Xavier, yeah. bald-headed Chuck. So I, it's not, I, I, I don't, I, like, it, I don't know if, if the, I'm guessing Hickman had him keep the helmet on all that time to make us wonder if something was amiss. And it, when when he was assassinated and and the helmet flew off, um, it was a wide shot, but you could still see that mm-hmm. it was it was his face. They weren't trying to. I mean, they, the first issue ended with the cliffhanger with the shattered helmet and and Xavier's hand in the panel, but the next issue, uh, Magneto is refashioning uh, Cerebro into a sword, uh, which now Xavier hangs over his bed, but he. Um, when when Magneto was looking down, you could see that it was Chuck. Um, and what I what what was what hasn't annoyed me is that yes, when in that at that dinner, and Xavier is talking to everybody, telling them that um, letting them know the lay of the land, and Magneto is telling them that uh, their attempts have failed, and and are continuing to fail because they're also trying to do something 
they're also um, the, the, there's a global leader who is attempting to take out um, the mutants at the dinner, uh, which that gets thwarted. But the while Magneto is is talking about how um, this isn't happening, Xavier does say, "I was assassinated," and and um, I obviously that didn't happen in the three issues prior in X-Men, but it actually happens in X-Force. And it, it, you know, there was no editor's note. There was nothing, you know, they're, they're, whether they're assuming correctly or not, you know, that you're reading all of these Mm -hmm. books with an X in the title, but I didn't know which issue it was. So by the time I finally got around to reading X-Force, I'm like, Oh, okay. And, and I'm absolutely fine with that because it just, just takes me back to the days when I wasn't buying issues when, when, when series start, you know, if I'm, digging through back issues to find, you know, an issue of Fantastic Four, Amazing Spider-Man, just because I don't know what happened in issue 189 and I'm up to mm-hmm. 25. So I just, I, I, but yes, I, I guess you could say I was spoiled, but I'm just, I'm reading the story as, as I can read it. And it was, okay, so this is where it happened. And then we just move along. So I, I think you're being overtly kind to Hickman on this. I, I think that's a failing. Uh, uh, and, and I keep in mind, I'm generally still positive on these books. But as you know, I did take issue. I don't remember if we talked about it on the show or not, or it was just the slacks. But I did take issue when I did my previous video that I think to whatever extent. Yeah, we talked about it with Tony. That's right. Um, where I just said that I not that Marvel cares what I think, but I think having 12 and counting mutant books next month and then 15 the following month is just not good commercially speaking and i'm already seeing it i'm seeing a lot of feedback with our facebook group and on the slack that people are saying yeah i just i feel like if i i can't get my arms around everything that's happening i'm it's just easier for me not to read any of it and while some may think that's obtuse um there's a lot of decades of of collector continuity reading mentality that we still have and it's an instinct and so I, I think while it's cool that you were able to just roll with it, I think that is a failing. I think that he has to treat X-Men proper. If he wants to have all the other books have allusions to one another or the, or the main X-Men book and you kind of have to be reading the X-Men book to follow along, I think that's okay. But I think X-Men itself needs to stand alone. Everything important either happens in that book or you get an editor's note that makes reference to it. I think that's the that's the only way this can sustain because that's fair. there are lots of people that don't have the time, money, or passion for mutants that they 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 pretty much maybe because Hawksbox was so good, I think they could stay on board for X Men proper and read one X Men book. And if that's the case, then give them everything they need in that book. Um, but yeah, but nevertheless, they did not, as you said, they killed off Xavier in X Force. Um, but but issue number four was everything I love about Hickman. Um, being being careful to make sure we don't uh, ignore the art. I think you is a very competent draftsman. I think he's a fine choice to pick up with this book. Uh, I don't think there's anything particularly jaw dropping artistically in in issue number four. Um, it's a it's a lot of of six nine sometimes seven panel grids. It is by by its very definition a talking head issue. So I think this is a case where um, this is more Hickman strutting his stuff than you, because Hickman did give you a lot to, to do in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot here that is made for Jason Wood, right? I mean, Vince, we get a, a page that 
that shows off the dinner menu at the World Economic Forum. Water, <sighs> watermelon gazpacho infused with habanero and poblano chilies. <laughs> shredded kale, mushrooms, bacon, and parmesan. Olive wagyu from the Kagawa Prefecture with Colbert sauce and brioche tresse de Metz. Uh, and then who attended the meeting? You've got, uh, as we mentioned, Professor X, Magneto, and uh, and, and Tupacalypse. Um, and then from the other countries, you've got uh, a Wakandan attache, the Chinese ambassador, and the U.S. ambassador. And then you have um, VIPs from Brazil, Italy, Switzerland, and India. And they all sit around a little table, and they're doing their... They're bona fides and they're chatting and all that sort of thing. Uh, and they'll cheer to peace. And meanwhile, just as they cheer to peace, the next pa- next page, you cut to a paramilitary team that's uh, clearly getting ready to uh, to bombard. And while they're sitting there having dinner, just doing their thing, having their conversation, Xavier just hits up Scott and says, you guys ready? To Scott and Gorgon. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they're like, yeah, we got this, dude. We're good. And um, so you have this this juxtaposition of this very tense but polite uh, bureaucratic conversation where the X-Men are strutting their stuff. Uh, and then behind the scenes, you have these strike teams that are getting ready to try and assassinate them and Scott and Gorgon making absolute short work. I mean, that's what I love about this so far. It just Hickman keeps pointing out in every way possible that the mutants have their shit together finally. Like, th- this is not a... Oh no, we didn't see this coming. Let's let's use our powers to get out of a scrape. This is okay. We are two omega level class mutants and we're going to go and wipe the fucking floor with you bitches cuz like it's ridiculous you even thought that you could do something against us. Uh and I just I love that. I love that they are being portrayed as as the gods that they now profess to be. Um and and at some point, right? There'll be a come up at some point the hubris will get them, I presume. I mean, it would be boring if they just one for five, about five years is winning, but um, but for now, I like that they just continue to pass every test. So, um, and then you just get great characterization. Um, like, uh, like at one point, Apocalypse is talking about um, another part of 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 time in the Bron- the Dark Ages um, when it was the end of the Bronze Age, and then uh, the. <laughs> U.S. the U.S. ambassador, who's the one that's that's, that's low key arranging for all of this uh, assassination attempt, is like whatever. Who cares about what caused the age of the bronze that caused the end of the Bronze Age? And Apocalypse said, "Well, I was alive then, and you should care." And then the Chinese ambassador said, "Oh, really? And why is that?" And he said, "He said what caused the collapse?" And Apocalypse said, "Me." So it's just like you know, he's just he's just stunting. Um, and then Magneto's just like looking fly as fuck in his all white suit. <laughs> Just, just eating, just chill, like just engaging, nice conversation, um, and then like he's like, "There's not going to be any war," and they're all like, "Oh, really? You sure about that?" And he's like, "No, it is. I'm sure." Um, and he's like, "You know, it's just how strong I am," um, you know, and and it's just like he doesn't it, like they're just they're completely unflappable. They're completely unflappable at this point. Um, so it's great. It's great, and like I love too that Hickman is playing with heroes that we know and characters that we don't know as well, because everybody knows about Cyclops and I'm sure is happy to see him back in a leadership position and kicking ass. But how many people really know Gorgon, right? I mean, how many people truly know Gorgon as a character? And yet, as far as we're concerned 
in the Hickmanverse, they're on equal footing. They're both captains and great at what they do. So I just there's a lot to appreciate there from a world building standpoint. I think he's executing it very well. Um, and I definitely think X-Men proper is the best of the bunch for sure so far. Not surprisingly, because he's writing it, but yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's, I, I, I'm, I stopped myself short from saying it, it feels tighter. It's just, it's, there's, it's, it's a deliberate pacing, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, X-Force is just, is more of a, feels almost grindhousey the way, uh, Wolverine and, 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 uh, Quentin go ahead and, and, and try to take out the, uh, little laboratory that's uh, mm-hmm. doing what they're doing. Um, but I am having a lot of fun with Marauders because I, you know, th- for whatever reason, Vince, Kitty is the only mutant unable to get on the island through any of Krakoa's gateways. Yeah. Right. And that's still, you know, a few issues in still hasn't been, um, it's mentioned quite a bit, but, but nothing, uh, we haven't seen anybody trying to, uh, fix any problem because there's just, there's, there's an, there's enough going on where that's not necessarily that that's, that's in the background and, and on everybody's minds, but it's not, you know, we don't see beast or anybody or, or black Tom trying to lay, you know, talk to the island and, and see what's going on but um you know she's she's captain of a ship and they're just they're they're living drugs and saving mutants and um the the team is weirdly a lot of fun for me because uh, pyro's on the team iceman's on the team um, how about pyro's face tat yes right just a complete like a skull from from his forehead to uh to to to, to right under his nose it's it's um it's just, yeah, it's it basically it's almost like it's Jolly Roger on his face, and uh, and, and even even Kate now has uh, tattoos across her knuckles. So, like me, she's not gonna be able to get buried in a Jewish cemetery. But we have um, we 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 have the political games between Emma and uh, Shinobi's dad, Sebastian, and um, Kate is now the. Um, Red Queen, Red Queen, and she is very much in love with the idea of Bishop being the Red Bishop, and um, there's just and he's not he's he is not in like love he's with that helping idea. her because he's that's yeah, a girl he, he's riding <laughs> right. iron with her, but he's like I don't want to be a fucking Bishop. Like, no, <laughs> like, I want to do it. Hellfire glow, uh, and and you know, but I think the the. The characterizations of, of all of the characters, everybody just, it's, there aren't, like, none of the teams really, I mean, even though Wolverine is, like, uh, scolding Quentin because of his of his attitude, I, that, that's, you know, it's understandable as he should, but none of the teams in, in the few books I'm reading, they, they there aren't, you know, nobody's really butting heads or, or, um, nothing has that, that soap opera feel where, where someone is trying, is waiting for someone to backstab and um getting under anybody's skin everybody has there's there's a purpose nobody's everybody's kind of on a level playing ground and 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 no one's trying to drag anyone else down to to get i mean there's still sebastian doing what he's doing but 
the mutants are working together because it's just it's better for them and for the world. So it's it's nice to see the drama not happening so much within the teams in these X books. So um yeah and and there's a level of uh there's this tension in each of the books because of, of, of the events going on in them and, and you know, with that Gambit is obviously worried about Rogue and Excalibur and uh they're saving mutants and, and now, you know, here's Peter shows up in uh in X Force. there's just so, so there are big doings and there are things happening and we're all learning at the same time. But uh for me, for someone who I am an X-Men fan, but it's it's easy for me to move away from them and then come back. And if, right now, this the, I'm I haven't enjoyed the X-Men this much in in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. What you're saying about Marauders, it, it's it's the quirkiest of the books. Well, <laughs> I can't speak to Fallen Angels because I'm not reading it, so maybe right. that's quirkier, but. Of the ones that I'm reading, uh, it's the quirkiest for sure. I would imagine this one's probably not grabbing the broadest audiences, my guess, just because it is so unusual in its take. Um, but I, I, I do find it pure. It, it's, it is, it is enchanting in a way. Uh, but I have to say, though, the thing I think that is just jaw on the floor baffling to me is that in five issues we've had three pencilers. And I just don't understand how yeah. that's possible. We had Matteo Loli did the first two issues. Then Michele Bandini did the third issue. Then uh, a dude I'd never heard of, Lucas Warneck, did the fourth issue. And then Loli is back with Warneck also getting credit in the fifth issue. And and I, I and they're not these three gentlemen do not have similar styles. And and so I I I think that that is asking a lot of a reader to come aboard a tertiary title that's about pirates and ships and um, international trade. And then you give them three different visual styles and five issues. I, I don't know. It just, it makes it tell it to me that conveys. We don't think this book is that important. I can understand that. I, I, I wasn't, I mean, yes. When, when we got to the third issue and Bandini's here, I'm like, okay, but it, it the, the, the focus was, um, was Shinobi Shaw, and and I'm thinking, okay, so if they're going to kind of spotlight a character or or kind of tell a, another story in this title, then okay, then then I understand. But then the fourth issue, we get another artist, and then the fifth issue, like you just said, they share art duty. So it's like, so we're not we're we're, we're not trying to change the tone because of a storytelling. It it really does feel like you know. Lowly couldn't get all the the issues done on time, and um, there I think New Mutants had um, I think Rod wasn't there for I think the third issue of of New Mutants. So there they yeah I use been the only one who's been on. Oh, and and no, that's not true um, because the the X Force has. Uh, has been consistent and that just yeah but yeah josh josh Kassara, yeah. Kassara looks i mean i it's it's dirty it's it's i yeah he's, he's I definitely got a little Buck. um 
like uh, he's got a little Tom Fowler, a little yeah, Fowler that, that, that's, that's school is, of yeah. art. Yeah, that, that's school of uh, art rather. Yeah. Um, now I'm surprised because again I really do enjoy Marauders. I'm surprised you enjoyed it because don't you find uh, don't don't the the kid Hellfire Club annoy the shit out of you? Well, see, they only kind of just be you 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 became aware of them when the woman who claimed her husband was taken to Krakoa and and then Kate uh, told the world that that wasn't true. And then the the kid Hellfire, that, I, I'll wait to see, because they really only kind of just started to get some time, page time, in the, um, in the fifth issue. So we'll see um, how... Uh, how things go from here, but yeah, it's um, maybe it was the fourth issue, but yeah, no, I, I, up until that, I've absolutely been enjoying it a lot, but yeah, we'll 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 see how um, I mean, maybe they'll be handled differently, mm-hmm. and and I won't be as annoyed, but uh, right, yeah, we'll see. I mean, people may not know what we're talking about, so um, in an event. Back in, I don't know, 10 plus years ago, called Schism, there was uh, a coup in the Hellfire Club where a bunch of the young, evil genius kids of the world, humans, took over, um, led by the Black King at the time, it was was Kate Kilgore. And there was uh, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, Maximilian Frankenstein, uh, Manuel Nduque, and Wilhelmina Kensington. And they ran roughshod over they were the uh the main antagonists for that event and then afterwards um in some of the x books and then they kind of went away you know i mean they 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 have been away for a while and now they're back but they're not the hellfire club anymore they are the uh homines verendi yeah yeah which um uh is latin for uh people of people to be feared so feel like feared people um and uh, they're setting up to be the main foils against the uh, the the current Hellfire Club. Which so it's it's Sebastian is the Black King. Um, he had resurrected Shinobi with the idea that he would be the Red King, but uh, that's not happening because uh, Kitty is the Red King, Red Queen rather. So uh, Shinobi is at present the Black Bishop, uh, and then Emma, of course, is the White Queen, and. Uh, and then, I guess it's her brother. Is that who that is? Uh, the one who uh, was talking to um, Iceman. Yeah, on his boat. I th- is it her brother? Christian. I mean, is his name? Yeah, it is. Yeah. His, it is his brother. Yeah. Yeah, so Christian Frost. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I must admit, I, I I don't recall a lot about him. I don't know if like so. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but although he was listed as a, isn't he one of the guys that was listed in the list of uh, Omega class mutants during Hawksbox? Was he really? I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. But anyway, um, yeah. So he's the White Bishop, um, and I get the sense. Did you doubt that he's? Um, yes. 
Yeah, that he's gay. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah uh, it, it seemed like they were doing a little like flirty, either yeah, pre or post coital kind of like like he was laying about in his his robe. He's wearing, half, he's wearing his robe, yeah, like legs akimbo. It was kind of very. There was a lot of innuendo there, so I don't know if they just got busy or if Christian's saying he's open for business. I don't know, but either way, I think they're going to probably spark that up. Um, yeah, I dig that one. Now, of the of the others, I would say that. Um, I, you know, I'm still reading New Mutants. I thought the last issue was good. I think Rod Rice is a very talented cartoonist. I think that uh, I I don't know why because there's plenty of people that have artistic stylings of others that I like, but for so, I, I don't know why this is, but for some reason, feeling like Rod is trying to be Sinkavage bothers me, and I, I like it doesn't. It's not rational because I think it's not like he isn't being himself. It's that's how his style always has been. I guess just seeing him drawing the original New Mutants just it 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 just it feels more like um, like a, a cover band. I as soon as he was announced to be the artist for New Mutants, I'm like, well, that's that's just perfect. They're just they they are trying to get everybody who loved Bill's work on the title, even though. Everybody bitched about Bill's work on the title. They're, they're trying to just get it. They're, they're, they're trying to rekindle that feeling. And, and it's, you couldn't be, as far as I was concerned, you couldn't be more obvious about it. it if I, if you're, if you can't get Bill to draw it, let's just get somebody who draws like Bill to draw it. And that's, that's how I saw that, that announcement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, so it's, it's, it, of the ones I'm still reading, it's it's the one that hasn't really grabbed me, and it's the most surprising because I do have such nostalgic love for those characters. Um, so I'm hoping it it, it rounds into form for me. Um, my love of the characters, it's just it's impossible for me to just walk away from that one. Um, and then Excalibur is is probably right up there with Marauders in terms of its quirkiness because. In essence, it's a story that very much plays in a lot of familiar areas for people that read the OG Alan Davis Claremont Excalibur. But, like, again, I wonder how many people really... This is where it gets to. Like, are you playing to the old crowd, just trying to get them to come back? Or are you trying to appeal to new readers? Because I have to think that's fairly difficult to pierce the veil if you're not intimately familiar with all of the Excalibur tropes from back then and you're reading this because there's a lot going on that they assume that you know I mean Morgan Le Fay and 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 their you know Braddock's brother and how he's insane and and Megan being his his wife and like there's just a lot kind of just all there that the the idea of Avalon and that it's a it's it's a world a magical world that's tied into King Arthur and Captain Britain and that Captain Britain's power is tied to the land of the UK like there's just a lot there that that I think there's a there's a a shorthand that we because we've we've we're familiar with all those concepts can jump right in and say oh okay yeah I see what they're doing but but objectively speaking if you just if I just handed this to someone who was just getting into reading the mutants, I have to think they'd be totally lost. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that statement. It, it's I, it, it, because if, if you're, if you were enjoying what, what Kelly was doing 
with Mr. And Mrs. X. Okay, well they're 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 in this book. Um if if you're a fan of and yeah, you, you have you have the people so you're calling it Excalibur, that, that that's already gonna give people an idea of what they expect. Um and then you're gonna throw Jubilee in there. Um and it's yeah, it, it's the first issue, I really dug the first issue with, with the with Lafay and then um her cult coming into action. It it it's yeah, it's I I don't I probably if 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 the teams were reversed, I probably would be enjoying Excalibur a lot more than I am, but um yeah, I, I, I guess I, I find that one quirkier than than Marauders for some reason. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I I really do like Marcus Toe's art and yes. I like that it's been consistent. Um I think he's doing a nice job of it's his own style, but but he's he's certainly got a flair for the Davis Excalibur stuff. Um so it's just a hint, but it's it's distinct enough that I don't feel like he's trying to mimic him. Um I I'm intrigued by the idea of Apocalypse trying to become the master of mutant magic. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little confused as to the whole. I need to put Rogue into a a coma, and it's for everybody's own good, and then lie to every. Like I'm confused by that. Um, I'm also wondering, given how the last issue ended, if that means she really Rogue really does kill Apocalypse, and if that's the case. Are we just going to resurrect him? I assume we will, because obviously he's incredibly important right now, especially in the main X book. Mm. So then if they resurrect him, does she keep all of his powers and memories? Like, how does that work? I don't, you know, I don't know how that all works, but uh, I guess we'll find out. But, but I, yeah, I dig it so far. I, what do you think about that? Be- what do you think about Betsy being Captain Britain? It's, um, I, I, I think it's great. It took a little getting used to, um, just cause I thought, Brian was still going to be cat. Not that they were going to be co-captains, but just that she would just hold it while you know he's doing what he needs to do. But um, I'm I am fine with with her as as Captain Britain. And even it was in the first issue, right when um, when she let Brian know that uh, Jamie is back, also. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And even that—that that was that could have been a little bit more. That that could have been way more uncomfortable. Um, but uh, you know, cooler heads prevailed. But no, I um, I definitely like her as as Captain Britain. I'm I'm I'll, you know, like I said, I'll I'm I want to catch up. I'll I'll, I'll read it. Um, there's just very. It's it's just hard for me to power through the issues. And that's oh, okay, not a yeah. slight on on the writing team. That 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 that's definitely not a slight on um, on on Howard on Marcus. It's 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 not a um, everybody does a great job, and and I know that you know these are characters that people absolutely adore. Um, there's just it's like you like to say there's Salt Peter to me. So, oh, I didn't know that. I I'm not a um, well. I mean, I, I yes, a lot of times I'll 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 talk shit about. Gambit, especially to Vander and whatnot, because oh, you mean just, that well, Gambit? I thought you, but yeah. I thought you meant like the uh, the Excalibur characters. Oh God, no, 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 okay. no, no, no! You give me the the OG Excalibur dudes, I'm there all twenty four seven. Right, right. 
Yeah, I know. I don't have the hate for Gambit that you do, but I do. I <laughs> no, but I do wonder. Like, like he, it's always like got to be the Gambit show. Yes, it's like dog. Like you're not like you're <laughs> you're not you're, well you're, like, you're you're just kind of like in the background here, man. Like you're just part of this whole narrative. Like you're not a Summer's be. brother. I know, but yeah, <laughs> but no, that's fair. That's fair. I forgot about that. I forgot Gambit's like Salt Peter do. Yeah. Um. Nice. Well, um, and I have nothing to say about Fallen Angels because I'm not reading it. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so there you go. There's, there's Mutinarama. I mean, well, I guess the, maybe to give people some, some cogent takeaway from our rambling, um, what, what, of, which of them are you planning on continuing beyond the point that you're at now? And, um, let's say like, which ones you are solid. You're going to definitely keep reading. Uh, you're on the fence depending. And, uh, and then you, you feel like, and then any that you're kind of like, I think I'm, I'm good for now. Uh, well, not, I, I, I skip over those uh, the pages in preview, so I have no idea. I know this Wolverine book coming out. I know there's a Teen Cable book, which I'm that's a hard. Path. Yeah, well, no, no, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not. Even as far as what, what what's yeah. out now, um, X Men and X Force are um, for now. I'm ride or die with those. The um, the Marauders is going to take something really drastic for me to say I'm done, um, and uh, New Mutants. Like I said once I start it. We'll see where that that falls, but um, I think the one that's closest to being left behind right now for me uh, is Excalibur. Um, Marauders is right in front, and then yeah, then then the top two are the um, X Men and X Force. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I I'm going to continue reading of them coming out. Like I said, I already dropped Fallen Angels. Uh, New Mutants is right on the edge for me, and that hurts my heart just because I do love the characters. Um, for now, I'm definitely on board all the rest. Although, um, although I think with with both Marauders and Excalibur, I can't say I'll read read them in perpetuity. They have to continue to to evolve and and in a way that that I find pleasing. So sure. I'm kind of with you. I think. I mean, I'm never going to not read an X Force book because. <laughs> Well, I mean, Domino's one of the main characters, so right? I mean, I, that's I, I got to get my fix there. Even if it's a shitty book, I'm going to read it. Um, so yeah, so I'm pretty there right there with you. Now I'm also listen. You you give me a you give me a Kubert drawn Wolverine book. I'm about about it. That is that is I'm very excited about that. I think he can he could do many things, love or hate him, but he can draw Wolverine like a badass. So um, <laughs> so I'm very excited for that as well. Yeah, and now we can bring Vince back in off mute. Yes, nice. <laughs> Did you drink two of your three beers while we were chatting? No, well, you got to get it out of your system. And there are people who <laughs> no, there are people who want to hear about these things. So hey, have at it. I'm not going to uh, stop you. I love your sacrifices. Sacrifices must be made. Yes. Yeah. I have two things. Uh-huh. One is in extremely lighthearted, and the other is fairly involved. So I just want to go into the lighthearted one first. Okay. And later on, I'll do the involved one. Uh, this is a slipcased hardcover released mm-hmm. by Press Pop and Last Gasp. The cover and slipcase both designed by Chris Ware. It's an important book. Uh, if you're a... Uh, investigator of manga because it is a uh, a work that introduced a trope 
that has been pretty much uh, a staple since its introduction. The book is called Tank Tankuro, Pre-War Works 1934-1935 by Gajo Sakamoto. And the, uh, the title character, Tank Tankuro, is the very first, it's not specifically stated in the text, but in the vein of Astro Boy and his ilk, he is the very first robot superhero. He's a rotund little dude with a top knot, but his body is a sphere with holes cut in it. And he can withdraw into his body in terms of distress, in times of distress. Um, he can make airplane wings come out, out of his body. He can make um, cannon turrets come out. Um, various and sundry things. But it's the very first instance of a transforming type robot main character. And it was done in 34. 19 freaking 34. Jesus. Yes. But as I said, it's extremely lighthearted. Uh, so much so that one would get the impression that it was written and drawn by a child. Um, wild abandoned. It's it's one of those cases where I always say formal training kills genius uh, in any artistic endeavor, whether it be writing or illustrating or painting or whatever, music. Um, the more formal training you have, the less likely you are to experiment and explore and uh, because you know the rules. In illustration, you got the elements of design. You have that... Uh, crotchety old professor leaning over your shoulder telling you you're not drawing right why are you holding the pencil like that um this to all uh to the naked eye looks like it was drawn uh and written like from a child and that makes it very important to me because i love the outsider artists i love king terry the head of uma artists that make it look good even though it's quote bad it's not in good form uh what is good form really uh, the rules are thrown out the window here and it's it's just a wonderful off-kilter light-hearted book where the main character just wants to help out he just wants to do good you know he's tank tankuro he's strong as hell and the opening chapters he he gets um in a bunch of scraps just so we see what he can do you know there's a uh a, a tangoyama which is a he's a sumo wrestler he lives in a tree and he fights with tank tankuro and the he the the tree bursts into flame at one point and tankuro's chopping away at the branches with uh his uh katana and there were birds nests in the tree and the birds get fried and so your your tangoyama gets incinerated and the birds are now crispy critters that tank eats so it, this was written in a time when you know uh these things didn't matter or they weren't considered as much as they are today 
uh, people get shot all over the place and chopped up and, and killed in this thing. But this was originally written and drawn for children. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, there is a, uh, a festival at one point. And they're all, all the townspeople are going, Washoi, you know, they're calling for the festival. And Tank comes up, he's like, whoa, what's this? I want to get involved. And so they, they let him carry the Mikoshi, which is the, the shrine, in this little festival. And everything's going great until Tank drops the, the shrine. Then they all get pissed off at him because he shamed them. So um, he sprouts wings, as he's wont to do in times of duress, and they're all you know, grabbing onto him while he's trying to fly away. And they're like, screw this. We got to do something. We got to get him down. So they get a cannon and they fill the cannon with red octopuses, octopi. And they shoot octopi at tank in the air and all the octopi suck onto each other. So you have a double page spread where there's tank up in the air going, "Uh uh-oh. And there's a ton of these little octopi all sucked together in a chain, and the the townspeople are trying to pull him down to because he pissed them off. He 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 uh, defiled their their uh, festival. It's crazy, but the um, the big bad is a character called Kuro Kabuto, and that translates into black helmet. And literally, he wears a black helmet. We never see his face. Um, he's got a beard which erupts from the bottom of the helmet but it's just a a black helmet with two white eye holes cut in it very striking appearance but they hate each other because he's the villain he's supposed to hate the 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 hero right um over the course of the uh kuro kabuto war we meet a monkey a talking monkey how did that happen it's never explained but it's a talking monkey and he's got a rifle and the rifle's called uh, Himanoana rifle. And what that means is the, the bullet from the rifle is on a string. And he can fire the bullet and bring the bullet back. And load the bullet back in the gun and fire the bullet again. So Kuro Kabuto's men are very well fed. Uh, an army is built on their stomachs, he says. So the, the, the army's very, very well fed. And... Keiko, the monkey, sees this, so he he hides in the distance and he keeps firing his bullets and penetrating their food, and he drags the food back, and he fires the bullet and gets a, you know, like a watermelon and brings it back. So uh, Tank and his buddies are well-fed now that the monkey's around. It's so stupid, right? You you, you couldn't... If if you sat down and tried to conceive some of this these things, you'd be like, that is the dumbest damn thing that I've ever heard. They get a giant, um, uh, like a, a vase, a giant uh, receptacle for, you know, whether it be wine or, you know, food or something. And they, they put, uh, Tank is asleep at the bottom of a, a hill. And they put an octopus in it. <laughs> and they roll the freaking thing down the hill. And it, it crashes and the octopus comes out. So Tank fights the octopus. Later on, um, they get drawn to a frozen lake and and tank and his buddies get sucked underneath and they go into a body the body of a giant catfish and the catfish comes up and kuro kabuto's like oh it's a giant catfish no it's not (coughs) the tankuro and and buddies they 
pierce holes into the catfish, and the catfish is smiling. He's like, "What's up, guys?" And and they come out of the catfish, and 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 live to fight another day. It's it's bizarre. They're um. The army of Kuro Kabuto has elephants and whales and tigers and turtles, but they all have guns coming out of their eyes. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but it just is, you know, it just, it just is. They load a cannon with wind. <laughs> wow. And they fire wind at, at a tank and it blows him off course and he gets all frozen. It's it's so freaking weird, but the art, oh my god, the art's beautiful, and it looks like it was done extremely quickly. Just like I mean, if you're familiar with King Terry, that that very rough hewn, uh, of Uma style, where it's just it it looks like there these were created for nothing else but the enjoyment of um, Sakamoto. That's money in the bank to me. Uh, tank fights an elephant. Uh, he gets so hot. The the elephants are um, blowing flame from their trunks. Again, don't overthink it. I don't know how it works. But uh, Kabuto has his, his guys. The elephants suck up gasoline in their trunks. And then they uh, they light it. And they march on Tank and his buddies. And blowing flames from their tank their their elephant trunks and everybody's like oh shit so tank is getting all hot Re- his, physically his body's red hot so he starts bouncing and he hits the elephants and burns right through them so you have elephants walking around with giant holes in their bellies wow yeah it's so strange and then tank fights an elephant and he ties his nose in a knot and he slaps it flat like a rice cracker and so then it's it's a giant flat circle at the end of the, the elephant's trunk. And he says, oh, it looks like an uchiwa, which is a Japanese rice paper fan. And so the elephant starts flapping his trunk and tank gets, goes into the air. And the elephant starts spinning. For some reason, he's spinning. And he spins so hard that he erodes all the ground around him. And then he's on a giant column of earth, high up in the air. Like, how does that even make sense? It's just so bizarre. It's so silly. But it's amazing. The uh, You may assume that it's faux naivete. Like, I'm a draw like... Whenever, you know, you've seen DC and Marvel comics when they'll try and... The artist will try and imitate a childlike innocence to a drawing like in the the mad dog ward when you know they had the the real scratchy um images where you you would think that either the person was a child that drew it or they're mentally unhinged Mm -hmm. this seems to be sakamoto's natural state like Hmm. the the drawings are just they're thrown down the backgrounds are very very minimal it's a a one color uh, spot color it's red so it's black and white and red and all variations you got your pinks and stuff but the monkey does not look like a monkey he just looks like a a man with a, a big mouth but it's we're taking it doesn't have a tail but we take it on faith that it's a monkey right 
uh, I loved it. I think this is one of I, – I went into it a little joyful because of the art style. And I thought, okay, this is either going to pass or fail. It's either going to be one of those things I'm going to absolutely adore it or I'm going to get tired of the – the uh, not lack of quality. But the sometimes the approach of – uh, the head of Uma approach is only good in limited doses. This thing is like 200 and, uh, God, 240 pages. Plus you have, um, a bunch of essays in the beginning that frames the work in, you know, a historical perspective. There's, uh, Sakamoto comes in and says, how I created Tank Tenkuro, um, it's it's just a wonderful wonderful book. I was I was mesmerized with it. I, in fact, I lost track of time. It's not a very um, deep dive as far as the investment on the part of the reader because there's maybe three panels per page on some of them. Most of them are like two or one. Uh, but holy crap, it's wonderful, and it's one of my prized possessions now. It I, sounds amazing. Damn, I'm fired up because I totally missed this when it was solicited, and then you. Uh, threw it out there saying, hey, uh, a lot of you may have missed this in the solicit, but don't skip this book. And so I ordered the book on your uh, recommendation. So you must have received it, right? Because you get your book. Yeah, yeah. No, I have it. I just have, I mean, I haven't read it though, but. I, I'm very interested to, to hear your take on it because mm-hmm. mm, it could go either way. Um, you, you are a proponent, uh, a purveyor of logic. There's no logic in this. It just, it's goofy. It's it's a kid mm-hmm. um, in in uh, grade school in the back of the class who's not paying attention to what the teacher's saying. He's just drawing in his tablet. That's what this is, mm-hmm. and it's it's a why not type narrative. Well, how does this guy? There's one section where uh, Kuro Kabuto's helmet is laying on the ground, and Tank comes up to the helmet and he's like. All right, I'm going to slaughter you. I'm just going to cut you right in half. And he takes his katana and he cuts the helmet in half. But a spring with a fist comes out of the helmet and punches Tank. And he's like, oh, like Mr. Bill. Oh, no. You know, (laughs) but it's just it's it's weird. It's off kilter. It's uh, Tank splits at one point into tens of the little tank tankuros. Why? How did we never got the impression that he could do that at any time in the thing, but he suddenly does. He, he could do it. Why? Cause Sakamoto wanted him to do it. And he's drenched in syrup and all the little, mm-hmm. all the little tank tankuros are in syrup and they're like, whoo, this syrup's sweet. Wow. My boots are stuck. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. okay, this, um, but that's the thing. It's, it's just pure unbridled creation. And from the the text, the kids, the Japanese children in the 30s, they ate this shit up. They went nuts over it. Like you said, the historical context makes it dope. Like, like it, because it was, you know, like, that's your point. I mean, it's, you have to keep in mind this is in the 30s and how crazy this would have been to people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because none of this stuff was passe. It was all new. Oh, Mm -hmm. look, a submarine. Submarines are cool, but it looks like a whale. And then there, the, it's, it's, I mean, it's not surprising that the majority of the, the narrative is about war. Because in 34, 
you know, things were brewing, right? And it's um, it's in in context, it makes perfect sense why it would be mm-hmm. about war. But for a children's book, you know, you don't usually want to bring that subject up with children. You want a, a diversion from everyday life, not a, not an embrace of of the the horrors of war. But it it's all lighthearted. I mean, people die, but they don't really. Right, it's 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 manga, it's cartoony. There are a couple of uh, spreads that are um, that dispense with the one color rule, and it's just freaking gorgeous. Like so surprising. Um, I expected good things. I didn't expect uh, magic, and that's exactly what I got. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's from Press Pop and our buddies at Last Gasp. It's called. Well, the slipcase reads something different than the cover of the book. The slipcase is uh, Gajo Sakamoto, Manga's Master, Pre-War Strips, 1934-35. So it's uh, you'll you'll recognize <laughs> it by the Chris Ware cover. It's it's unmistakable that Ware right. des- design. Yeah, no, thing. no. I, I I mean, I have it. I, yeah, I, yeah. I said I bought the book. I, yeah, I know exactly what the cover. I give stunned. twenty stars. Wow. Yep. Damn. Yep. I think it should be in everyone's collection. Uh, but of course, I'm very biased. This is this style of illustration is probably the closest to my heart. It's it's immediate. It's free. It's unfettered. You don't have the formal training. Looking over your shoulder, it's just hey, let's just make some comics, and who cares if it doesn't make sense? It's fun. Yep, it's awesome. I don't know how much it is because it's not printed on the slipcase or the book, but I believe we got it for nineteen ninety nine, which it could, wasn't expensive. I know no, that. which could have been maybe thirty percent or forty percent off its retail. Mm. So you know, plan accordingly. Re- it retails for twenty nine ninety five. There you go, there you and go. it's worth every damn penny. What else we got, gents? I'm gonna get this. I finished the um. The first book, first volume, whatever you want to call it, of um, the relaunched Dead Eyes by Jerry Duggan and John McRae, colors by Mike Spicer. Um, I got to the end of the fourth issue, and it it somewhat had an ending, and then I guess um, when you turn the page, you do see that the, um, the next... I guess episode is called the empty frames and there's the, um, there's the ad for the, for the volume one collection. So we'll say the first four issues are the, um, are the first chapter, um, you know, dead eyes, the formerly dead rabbit, um, dead eyes was a bank robber, um, who retired over, uh, 20 years ago um his wife is disabled so um he's spending his time taking care of her he works at um uh, home depot lowe's kind of joint and um his wife has a seizure so she gets admitted to the hospital and the bill's like over 60 grand so um dead eyes has to kind of come out of retirement and in doing so he um looks up his old wheel man uh, his nickname is Wheels, and he um, and nobody knows. Uh, Wheels doesn't know who 
Dead Eyes is under that mask. And um, so he says, listen, I need money now. Now, the mob thinks that when Dead Eyes disappeared, it's because he ran off with 10 million bucks of their money. So that was the one big score. And he's out the game. And Wheels thought that too, because he's like, you know, so you already blew through all that mob money. And he's like, yeah, I never, I never took that, that money. I know what you're talking about. So, um, the, uh, there's no, there's no prep time. The wife needs the money. The hospital needs the money now. Uh, so, so there's no time to scatter anything. He figures if, uh, he figures the bank really probably hasn't, um, updated their security all that much. The, the roads are still the same. You know, the, you know, the route. We get in, we're out. You're home for lunch. So um, everything's going according to plan. He, uh, he's, he's robbing the bank and he runs out and the car isn't in front of the bank where it's supposed to be. It's it's kind of still across the street and idling. That's because um, Wheels, Wheels likes to drink. Just to calm his nerves, get himself ready. But apparently, he either crashed from low blood sugar or he's just getting a little older. So he's he's like conked out in the car. Um, Dead eyes pushes him over, starts riding, starts driving through town, getting out of there. Um, the cops are already on their way, so he floors it. Um, gets a little clumsy and um, ends up crashing into um, into a trolley. Um, so he T-bones the trolley, wheels goes flying out the car, lands on the ground. He, um, eyes either leaves wheels and takes the money or leaves the money and takes wheels. But since wheels doesn't know who he is, he figures, okay, it's fine. He can't say nothing. That's that, that's, you know, but we'll, we'll take care of him. I just, I gotta get out of here. But then he sees a, sees a homeless dude with a shopping cart pays for the cart, throws wheels in the cart, takes wheels to the hospital, same hospital his wife is in. So um, while he's, uh, he goes upstairs, checks on his wife. At the same time, the mob stops by to see wheels and um, they don't believe wheels doesn't know who, um, who dead eyes is. But uh, when, um, when he, uh, when Martin goes to pay for his wife's um, hospital bill, just so she can get ready to get out, um, he walks by Wheels' room, sees the um, sees the dudes in there talking to him. At first, he thought they were the police, but as he's hearing, he's overhearing the conversation. He knows that um, they're not cops, so he, he puts on scrubs, goes in as a uh, as an orderly, and. Um, kind of turns on some uh, some nitrous and walks out of the room so now everybody's starting to get a little high. Dead Eye shows up, takes out most of the mob dudes. Um, Wheels takes out a few and um, as, as groggy as he is, they get out of the hospital and um, and he takes Wheels back to um to his home, to, to, to Wheels' house, um, he is able to grab one of the um, the mob dudes for questioning. And again, and they still think that, you know, Dead Eyes took all the money and, uh, and, and made away with it. But it's, 
there's a um, when as we see that um, that Ice didn't take the money. His wife is out of the hospital now. They're home. It's Christmas. Um, he uh, he's also saved. Some, he, he, he gave Wheels his cut, so they're taken care of. Um, even though Wheels is is busted up from the car accident, and um, the mob dude he was questioning, he says, "Listen, he goes, you know, I'll you got you're gonna have to kill me because you know they're gonna know I spoke to you, so." I don't. I don't need them to torture me, and I don't need them to kill my my, my family. So, I'll tell you what you need to. I'll, I'll tell you what I know. You just take care of my wife, and and he does. And and you know he's he's, he's an honest crook, but he um he finds out where the um the money was actually stashed because the um the mob was taking care of a construction site. So the, the, the Don, his son needed, uh, needed some honest work. They, it, it wasn't an easy job. It wasn't just, you know, a, a, your name's on the payroll type thing. So he actually did have him go to work. Um, and they hid money in the drywall. So, so it's been years now, the apartment building is lived in and everything. Uh, so he, um, he makes as if he's, you know, he's pest control and he, uh, he, takes a he breaks into um the police department's canine unit and takes the currency sniffing dog and and so they go hunting for for the money and it it's the first the first chapter ends on a very happy note everybody is everybody who's supposed to be alive is alive and and um but because of the mob dude's wife that that I said that you know he would take care of. Um, he noticed some of the photos, and first of all, she she ends up when he when he breaks into her house to leave the money. She comes in behind him. She cuts him. So now he's like, "Well, shit! Now my DNA is all over the house. I I really you know that that was a mistake." So he ends up burning the house down. But before he does, he grabs a photograph, and he notices that the photograph is there's something about that photo that's very familiar and it's because it's a um it's a location where um where he and his wife were married at a museum so there's there's a connection now so obviously the mob's not going to stop looking for now that dead eyes is back or at least for this one event he was but now that he's you know he didn't retire and he's not going away and he's back on the mob's radar um i'm curious to see where the next chapter is going but it this was not what I expected as when, when, when it was initially solicited under whatever name, I, you know, I, I like Boston. I like, um, you know, it, it's reminiscent of, if you like the movie, the town, or there, there's definitely things in this. If you like heat, there's, there are a few things that kind of are very familiar to, to, to that genre, but, um, you know, it's not as it's, not as graphic or violent or as dark as, as I kind of was expecting it to be when it was, when it was announced it's, um, but yeah, I, 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 as far as the first chapter goes and to get to find out who all the characters are, I, I, I kind of dug it. I mean, McCray's work is fantastic in this as usual. And, um, 
I think all the characters are they 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 feel believable. That no, no one's really over the top or or um or just uh, stereotypical. It it's uh, I mean even the mob dudes nobody you know they they're more they're almost more offensive when when Ennis writes have been Punisher than than they are in this book. It's um it's just it's it's yeah I I just I kind of um I, I don't know really what I was expecting when I when I started reading it I didn't expect us to um to get where we were by the end of it but it was it, it was a fun ride it was nuts and um yeah I'll 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 be there for when the next volume starts but I'm uh I'm quite surprised I'm happily surprised with uh with how Dead Eyes played out Now that this was called Dead Rabbit, or Dead right? Rabbit. Yep, yeah, first yeah, yeah. two issues are, right. I think, still out there somewhere. Um, I saw them at Chicago last year. Uh, some dude was trying to sell them for a stupid amount, but um, yeah, once uh, once the bar uh, filed suit, they had to um, rebrand the book. And it, I mean, it, there's really no. It, it's, it's actually more fitting as dead eyes because of the crossed out eyes. I think, I think the only part, I think the rabbit came in because of the way his mask hangs off the side of his head. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't, it did the rabbit part wasn't, wasn't any big deal. It's, um, the, yeah, aside from, uh, and yeah, I think the only, what, what just kind of the only thing I'm, the only flaw, if, if you could even say that, mm-hmm. is that um, there was no, it, not, not a buyer beware, but there was nothing in the first issue in this reprint of Dead Eyes number one that that lets you know that this was originally published as. Yeah, or there was any I know sort Caleb of note. was feeling some kind of way about that. Yeah, yeah, there was no note in the back that says, you know, hey, this this may seem familiar to you or whatever. But um, which yeah, it, it's fine. If you never saw Dead Rabbit, then fine. Here's your first issue of Dead Eyes, and you go along and you're. None the wiser, but um, for those of us who who did know, um, uh, a little, hey, this is what happened. Might have um, might have been nice to see, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, just a, uh, a note because I talked about Manor Black issues one through three, um, and I I thanks to apologies, I don't remember who specifically, but someone pointed out to me in the Slack group that uh, issue four had actually been released in October oh. and uh, they were right. So I actually had, I went and bought it off Comixology and read it. And uh, yeah, so we, we got the, uh, the resolution, at least the resolution for now. Um, so I can now fully recommend the, the four issue little story. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a fun, uh, well, not fun. It's, it's, it's a, it's an engaging entertaining yarn about uh about the idea of uh certain primal forces being at the hand of magic and the black family has control over blood and uh they're trying to corral the uh primal entity of fire uh so yeah no it was it was uh thank you for pointing that out because i was sort of waiting for Godot for it to finish (laughs) so um and then vince did you catch up on basketful of heads I did not. God damn it. But you can go into it by the time I read no, it. No, no, there's nothing to go. I just, I, it's going to be collected to, by the time I get to Lee. I, we'll, we'll I thought share. the third issue was wonderful. I, it was, it was, it was, uh, our, our, 
our femme fatale protagonist basically spending the issue having a conversation with the with the dude whose head she chopped off and uh sweet it's it's raw and nasty and they say vicious shit to each other and uh and then we let's just say she has a run-in with someone she thought she could trust but maybe she can't i think it's beautifully drawn that's the thing it's fantastic yeah it's 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 of the, it's that it's that EC school. Oh sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that that's my favorite of the of the Hill House book so far. Sweet, because Lee, Leo Max is a beast. Yes, yes. I, I was not out of nowhere. Right, this, out yeah. of nowhere. Yep. Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, do you want to buckle up? <clears throat> I mean, it's a bonus app. We can we can keep it short and sweet. All right. Well, you didn't talk very much. You got anything? Uh, Twenty. No, hours. I didn't. I didn't mean stars though. So it's I, I didn't. I didn't mean to quit. I meant like sit comfortably because oh, thing, I'm ready. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. It's it's not a complex tale, but it's involved. There's a lot of tendrils going everywhere. Um, it's from 2000 AD. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from are they your publisher of the year? <laughs> mm, uh, no, okay. no. From Prague's twenty one sixty two to twenty one sixty four, at least the the latest chapter of this serial is in uh, twenty one sixty four. It's uh, it's a new serial, a new character, which is awesome because uh, I like to see some some fresh concepts infused into two thousand AD. Dread and company are great, uh, but uh, I give me something new, something different. And this is exactly what this is, written by Michael Carroll, illustrated by the great Flint Henry, or Henry Flint Henry, however you want to say it. Uh, lettering is by Simon Boland. The name of the strip is called Proteus Vex. And oddly enough, we are talking about the Japanese and war. Um, there's a little bit of backstory to this, even though it's a serial, a new serial. Uh, there was a war between the Obdurate and the Imperium Ascendant. And they had been at war for 14 centuries. Big, galaxy-spanning war. Um, but, like the U.S. did in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Imperium teleported a dying white dwarf star, smack dab, into the center of Obdurate space. And the white dwarf star goes nova, bleh, big bada boom, billions of people dead, and the war is over. So when the strip starts, it's in this pre-war period where, um, you know, memories have not dissolved yet. Uh, the, the, quote, villains are still um, considered as such. Uh, but the Imperium is, is I mean, it's an empire. Come on. They're, they're not exactly squeaky clean either, right? So you have this character called Proteus Vex. And this story takes place four decades into the post-war era as the uh, titular character. He was a one-time soldier in the Imperium. Now he's a super agent. He's like that guy that you send in to get shit done. And visually, oh my God, is he striking. Um, you, you have to see the costume because it's a little bit um, Phantom X, just a little, 
a little mm-hmm. fancy. He's now got you're talking my language. He he his his uh I don't want to call it a costume. His garb he split straight down the middle. Uh half of his head is red, half of his head is white. He's got sort of Spider-Man eyes. Um but the the cost the the garb is riddled with what look like sigils. Um very very strange uh graphic things that we don't know what they do yet or if they do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh and he's got a sort of a stylized trench coat. So he looks like a super spy. Uh, by way of maybe a warped version of Phantom X meets Deadpool. It's, it's a weird, visually striking costume. Uh, raiment. I, I don't know if it's a costume yet, but this is the way this character looks. He's super cool looking. Um, mm-hmm. so he's, he's one time soldier. <laughs> now he's the dude that gets shit done and he pilots his cube ship. It's a ship that's a cube. Uh, to a planet called Farago. No, the, the cube ship is called Farago. The planet is called Koragag. He's got this prisoner in the ship with him. It's a pasty-faced, black and blue little space weeble. It looks like a weeble. Remember weebles? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. A, mm-hmm. weeb- a weeble with arms, and it's called Midnight Indicating Shame. That's this character's name. Very innocent-looking, cutesy kind of character. Um... He's got. He's transporting a prisoner, but he was diverted from his previous course because there's um, a high-ranking Imperium officer, a chancellor named Rose Seven Baryon, <laughs> disappears. Just goes AWOL. Where'd this guy go? Nobody knows. But it's good because he had a chip implanted in his body, a tracking chip. It's an indestructible. You can't remove it. Well, we're going to know where this guy is at all time. So, yeah, a high-ranking official goes, disappears. We have a way to track him. Where does he go? He goes to Koragag because Koragag is the home of this giant obdurate re- reactory. And what this thing does, it made uh, uh, power sources for the obdurate ships. It's a giant nuclear power plant in a sense, and it vents all this energy wouldn't you know it? The energy that it vents makes communications, plasma weapons, weapons, tracking systems, any kind of electronic device, it makes them null and void. This guy can't be tracked. So it's like, the fuck did he go to this planet for? So um, Proteus Vex is giving the guy the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, there's got to be a reason why this Imperium dude, he knows things. got to be a reason why he went AWOL to this planet, specifically this planet because we can't track them here um so the energy vents are, are screwing with everything vex can't use his plasma weapons after the war this planet had been declared a neutral zone it's a free port so everybody and anybody can come it's like the wild west um there's a, a band of peacekeepers on the planet but they're ineffectual this guy getting beat up beat to shit peacekeepers are like you know, they're smoking. Vex is like, the fuck? He breaks it up, and it turns out it's an obdurate. The villains, right? So Vex is not above defending what were the villains in this centuries-long war. And it turns out the obdurate shell is, uh, is, just, a, is just a shell. There's a flesh pilot 
inside this body and it comes out the guy's neck and it's a little John Byrne-esque character with like a, a parallelogram on its head. It's cool looking, but I'm, I'm getting diverted from the, the, the real story here. Um, so naturally, Vex wants to go into the reactory and it's hotter than a sun in there. So he's got to wear, he's got to take precautions before he even gets near the place. He puts this environment suit on. Um, but to make matters worse, the place is run by this race called the Scorchers. And they're an incredibly difficult race to deal with. Um, and they hate Proteus Vex. Why? He drew them into the Obdurate War. And you'll find out how in the, in the story. So they, they hate Proteus Vex. Um, they're the oldest known race in the universe. They're big. They're stratified like, like living rock mummies. They're impervious to disease and decay, and they live a long, long, long time, and they hate Vex. So how does he, he got to go, he has to go into this place, deal with somebody he doesn't want to deal with just to get information. And the, the one Scorcher, the spokesperson for the Scorchers, his name is Glass Raven, he decides to bury their differences for the moment because this Row 7 Baryon guy, in his service to the Imperium, he came to learn a lot of things about the Scorchers their strengths and their weaknesses and this glass raven would rather have um baryon found and placed into the hands of the imperium than have this guy that knows things running around you know this unknown quantity who knows very very crucial information about this race they don't want him traipsing around the galaxy we've got to find this guy so the plot thickens and i i left a bunch of shit out it's even though the the chapters are like four or five pages this thing is dense um and i read a uh an inter uh an interview with flint henry and he said yeah you know going into this i i thought how am i going to approach this thing um let me look at the work of mobius and so he he went to the god for guidance and stopped after a while because he said, you know, you look at Mobius too long and you feel very ineffectual. You, you feel like maybe you're not doing it right. Or, you know, you're peeing next to somebody with the hugest dick in the room. So, you, you know, you got to pull back. But so he approached it with Mobius in mind, a la Mobius by way of Flint Henry. But to me, it looks like experimental period Keith Giffen. That okay. That mm. Legion five years later. Well, after Legion five years later, um, not quite Trencher. It's not as chaotic and, and willy nilly as Trencher, but it has the same the same air to it. That that very very dense panels, lots and lots of line work, super complex and and creative character design. Uh, I was blown away by this strip it, it feels like the the love child between somebody like you know a high concept like grant morrison and alesh coat got together to do a, a sci-fi story it's it's utmost world building that's all we're getting is world building mm -hmm. yeah and it, it may be a little daunting to some people because it's all information it's an info dump right off the bat and as you're being told what was in the captions, things are happening in the now, in the panels. 
So it's like, yeah, this obdurate war went on for a long time and people were hurt and blah, blah, blah. And then you get an assassin breaking into the Farrago. Why? Well, you don't know, but you, you, you find the outcome and it's totally shocking, unexpected. And I just I had a ball with this. Um, in addition to all the other great stuff that's in 2000 AD, this uh, Proteus Vex is a very, very welcome addition to what is really a super, super tight lineup so far. Like I said, 2000 AD waxes and wanes. Sometimes they're, they hit the mark on every strip, and then sometimes you have maybe two that are really good, and the rest are floundering. But um, to, to my eyes, right now, again, and I've been saying this for a while, so they're on a good, long, creative peak uh, with the magazine. So, you know, take my words with a little bit of salt. Um, I, I think they're, 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 they're kicking great, great clouds of dust around at 2080. So if you're in the mood for something different and you want to work a little bit, this is not going to give a, its secrets up um, willingly. You're going to have to dig a little bit. It's uh, Proteus Vex in 2000 AD, Prague's 2162 to 2164 and further. The story is not over yet. And it's only the first chapter. The creative team have planned the next chapter. So I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait for the eventual hardcover because <laughs> I, I want all this in one spot. Reading uh, a serial in 2000 AD is a bit daunting because um, I don't know how you read, but in anthologies, if I'm reading a dread strip, I'm going to read the dread strip in every issue, then go back and read another strip in every issue. And then, really? oh, I can't read an anthology. Okay. No, I can't do it. I have to read the one story <laughs> all the way through. That's what I did no, with I it. I can't say that. Yeah. It's, it's, there's too much, there's too many distractions. Give me the dread story. And I will read it, and then I'll go back to the whatever Prague the the next story begins in, and I'll read that story. I cannot read the entire anthology and then go to the next one. It's just my mind does not work that way. I'm linear. Interesting. Yes, I'm not Oracle like you that can just ah. boop 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 from <laughs> from ten thousand different sources, and then I'll make sense of it. No, that's not me. Mm. Nope. Nah, son. Yeah, check out 2000 AD. It's kicking. It's beautiful, and you can get them all um, in a package deal, right? Through uh, previews, yes. you can get the whole yep. month's issues. So it's it's effortless. You, there's there's no way you shouldn't be buying it. Saying, oh, well, you know, I hate ordering four issues at a at a time. But they're all in one package. You just got to click once. Just Boom. just do it. Seriously. So there you go. This was a different episode. We got shit all over the place. We just went all. We, it was like it was like old school, like review, just just rapid fire reviews. I know. Love it. I I do like these these, um, no roadmap episodes yes. where we can just plop down and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take it wherever it takes us. Yep. All right. Buddies and buddettes, this has been yet another episode of 11 O'Clock Comics, and we loved having you. If you want to get your books super cheap, get them delivered right to your door, packaged beautifully, all giant things of foam. Uh, your books are going to arrive the way they came off the press. Uh, discount Comic Book Service. Uh, yes. Um, I don't 
uh, Twitch when I get a bent corner on a like if I order a book from Amazon and the book comes with a bent corner, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? You know what I mean? Send it back it, and no, nah, it's not a cause for <laughs> nah, concern. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, to quote Joe Joe Pesci. Uh, so rebellion, 2000 AD, best of number one is two dollars and seventy four cents from Ad House, Kankor, thirteen ninety seven, and Gamma Yun Tales, Volume One from Nobrow, thirteen ninety seven. In your travels, I know Jason's not going to high five me on this, no. but but I'm still deeply enraptured with Last God. Oh, listen, I, well, I mean. I know it's not your thing. I'm not saying it's a bad book. Right, right. It's not your thing. Yeah. Um, Written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Ricardo Federici. And uh, Sonny Go is the colorist. I'm not going to get too too deep into it at all. Suffice to say, there is is one, one sequence in this book that absolutely stunned me. That is very, very hard to do to a 54 year old jaded. Um, uh, consumer of this, these things we called comics. There, anyone who reads the book knows, but um, if you don't, the narrative flip flops between uh, a thirty-year span. You have um, the Tirgolad narrative, which is in the present day. And you have the Olvargolad narrative, which is in the past. And it tells you how these characters came to be uh, uh, worshipped as, as heroes when, in fact, they were, bl- they were <laughs> blind, stinking liars. And profess to uh, have eliminated uh, the last god, Mal-Ultep, but, in fact, they did not. But anyway, so there's... Um, uh, part of the narrative, the 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 old uh, Tirgolad narrative, they're going to a place called the Pinnacle, and it was built by the Guild Eldritch on the back of Elven slaves, and one of the characters in the uh, current day posse is Elven, um, so she's like, this place is disgusting by our standards, but we got to go here. Um, and to get to the pinnacle, it's this giant spire of, of what looks like floating islands, much in the, uh, uh, it's, it's like a yes album cover in the fantasy realm. Um, so they got to get to this, this place and there's a giant bridge spanning this impossibly deep crevasse. And so, um, you have the, uh, Evan Deer, the uh, slave that won his freedom but didn't. Uh, the Queen Syanth, who uh, saw her husband consumed by um, Mal Altep. And you have this elven named Vico. So they got to get across this bridge. And smack dab in the middle of the bridge, they notice there's a, a mother and child. And they're dead. And they're desiccated. And their flesh is like leather. And it's raining, <laughs> and they're, they're, this thing is in the middle, and they're just like, all right, they're dead. Let's just, you know, let's get where we got to go. And there's one panel that Federici draws that I, I, I gazed at it for what seemed like forever. 
the mother's cradling her child, and it's a top-down perspective. You see the mother's head, you know, against the head of her child, which is in the, you know, the crook of her neck, and the, the child's all gnarled, and the hands are bent, and the fingers are, the nails are just pointy and creepy, and you see every undulation in their skin, and they're dead, so they got the rictus, and the teeth are, half of them are gone, and noses are all, the the tissue's all necrotic, so parts of their body is just gone, and this thing looks up, and Maaltep possesses the kid, and he looks up, and you see the eye just at the top of the, the um, arc of its eye socket, and he goes, Hail, Queen Mother. So sarcastic and condescending. And you got some Sam Haynes strip of hair coming down mom's forehead. It is a gorgeous, absolutely astounding panel. Um, you got to see it for yourself. It, it's, um, I'll put it in the gallery accompanying this episode. Uh, and then it goes even further south from there. And you're like, Holy shit. This Federici guy can not only draw, he can design because this thing is mind-boggling. Uh, it's It goes into Lovecraftian territory. I love this book. Um, as if the, the front matter weren't enough, you get copious amounts of back matter. It, for me, it's the black label title. I love it. Last God, number three, uh, book one of this Fellspire Chronicles. <laughs> I hope there's many, many more books to come because this book is amazing. I have, I have the first three sitting right here because um, I need to catch up. So I want to read. That. Well, I won't read them for next week since you just talked about the third, but I'll, I'll catch up for the. Oh, well, I talked about talk one about. panel of the third, but yeah, if I you want to, if you want to talk about it's uh, uh, full disclosure. If uh, our patrons know, because they get bonus episodes, uh, but they didn't hear it yet. I talked about starting this issue, what must have been three times. Yes. Uh, it's not a book you can just jump into. Right. You can't read Superman and read this and then go read Spider-Man after it. <laughs> it's It's a book that it's like, sit the fuck down, calm yourself, get into the right frame of mind. And walk into this fantasy world. It's uncompromising. There's a ton of dialogue. There's a ton of back matter. So you're gonna you're gonna be invested for about thirty forty minutes in an issue. Good. Y- you gotta give the book its 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 space. You can't. It doesn't uh, walk and talk like other comics. It, it's it's a you know sit back relax and sink into this world type book i love that many people you know there's a lot of people that don't like that um inside front cover has uh you know the catch-up page that gets you caught up on the narrative and it's not just one line it's three paragraphs very very detailed uh synopsis of what has come before so you can read this book issue by issue as they come out but my recommendation is to read them in chunks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. There you go. Last guy. Woohoo! Um, speaking of chunks, I finally caught up on um, 
the image launch of Cobra reading the first three issues. Oh, um, there you go. So, or also known as 32, 33, and 34. It's, um, what what I absolutely as as great as the main story is, um, the first issue, there's a panel recap of the original volume, the first thirty one issues, um, and then there's a uh, a little bit of a hey yeah it's the first issue, but I know I dropped you in the middle of a big confrontation because of the cliffhanger by the author. The second issue has a um, kind of a love letter to image comics from when they started back in the early nineties um, with, uh, with a couple of pinups by Michelle of, um, of various image characters. And the third is uh, backup is well, while he's waiting for letters by the readers is a, um, is basically just reminiscing over um, Steve Ditko and Norm Breifogel who um, we lost both of them in um, in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, months apart. But uh, both meant a lot to Mr. Fife. So um, he wanted to acknowledge their contributions. But yeah, the the um, the main story has just been crazy. I I I adore. Shell's work, his, his 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 line work, I just I can't take my eyes off the page, and and it's probably why it took me so long to read these three issues is because I just I can't look away, and and so much so that I have to reread pages because um I'm forgot the conversations that the characters are having, uh, but it's you know it's like I said it's it's picking up. From the first volume, so there's a mess our heroes have to um, get out of. But yeah, if, uh, if if you didn't start it when we had Michelle on, um, no shame on you. But he obvious, absolutely should do so. And uh, the, the 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 trades from the first volume, thanks to Imagery Publishing and reprinting them, they're um, they'll be available. But uh, all but issue, all but one story from issue 25 but yeah it's um you know you you don't worry about who any of the character you you get caught up as you read the issue you there's a recap of um you get headshots and a roll call so you kind of know who all the characters are but um yeah you you really shouldn't get too attached to too many characters or don't get to don't get attached thinking that you know if this is the hero of the story or main character then um they're safe in the story. There's, there's, there's actions have consequences in, in this story. It's, it's, um, it's, it's crazy. These are his characters, but uh, they're analogs, but they're his characters. Um, and you know, he may love and care for them, but if they serve a purpose in the story, then, um, then, then they may very well be sacrificed, but it's, uh, it's, it's a unique book in the sense that it's and how the story is being told and, and how it looks. But if you are familiar with, um, with eighties DC and a few Marvel characters, then, uh, I think you'll be able to catch up really quickly and easily. But yeah, if, um, please do, if you, you absolutely should be reading Cobra. I wholeheartedly second that emotion. I third it. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. For, for those of you who don't know, and we've talked about it on the show, we will put lists of what we read on, on Slack. And, and mm-hmm. this is how precise David is. He doesn't, he doesn't put Copra number one to three because uh, all of us know what he's talking about. In parentheses, he puts 32 uh, to 34. You know why? Because no, I don't know why. I really don't. Because he, on the, no, no, no. Because on the cover, on each cover, under his signature for the art, he has. I know. So the cover of number one, he signed the cover, FIFA, and underneath that is 32. So he's letting you know from I, people who, who, Bought the Bergen issues or the Copra Press issues. This is the it's like Marvel's legacy numbering. It's just so I know what it is, but I'm just saying three sets of eyes fall on this list. That's it. Yes, and you will go that extra distance. Oh, I'm just it's Dap will make sure that the wording of the title is exactly the way it is in the indicia of the book, and I I like that because it just shows the attention to detail that he has. Me sometimes I just put one word down. You know, I, you know what I'm talking about, but Dap cannot. He's got to be precise, and that's what that's what makes you you. I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's that's a that's a character trait that you have. If you if something is burgundy, you're not going to call it dark red, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if it wasn't on if it wasn't on the cover, I'd have just left it alone. This is this the image issues. You know what I'm talking about, but it's yeah. on the cover. It's right there. So I, I, I rest my case. Okay. <laughs> it's a good thing. Jason, mm. what you read? I I got so, so, uh in your travels, I need you all to catch up with me cuz you're only one third behind uh and read Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy. Oh. The latest in the Black Hammer universe from mm. our good friend Jeff Lemire with art by Tonchi Zonchik. Uh, a lot to unpack here. Uh, on the surface, it's a fairly simple story. It's a story of a of a uh, um, vigilante in the in the vein of the Punisher, say, um, who is uh, not above violence and killing to met out justice, and he has taken on a ward, um, the Skeleton Boy, uh, and. So, you know, if you just take it for what that is, as a six-issue miniseries, you'll probably be satisfied. But there's a lot more here. Um, you know, those that are keeping current with Jeff's Black Hammer, it's it's very much his homage to many different aspects of the superhero uh, history. So you've had Legion homages and the Starman homage, and you've had um, a lot of Silver Age stuff, and then you've had... Uh, you know, and he's doing this intentionally. Sort of, he's touching on each thing that he thinks were formative in his experiences that led to him to become the creator that he is. And so, with that in mind, I think the importance of Skulldigger and Skeleton Boy is that this is Jeff's bringing the '80s hyper-violent superhero comics into the uh, Black Hammer world. Uh, he fully intended to draw this miniseries himself when he was mapping everything out and he just didn't have the time. So he ended up getting Tanchi to do it. And uh, I think that this is Tanchi's best work to his career. Uh, we've got two of the six issues out and um, it's, it's awesome. It, it's, I, I, I know Dapple love this. If you're a fan of that Punisher-esque type of character, 
the 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 uh, anti-hero very much here. Um, certainly, there's the there's a little bit of the aspect of 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 the ward, which is runs just just steeped in DC lore, right? I mean, most DC characters at some point, past or present, have had. Um, some kind of sidekick or what have you. And uh, there's a little bit of the professional Leon going on here. Mm. So um, yeah, I I think it's been awesome so far. And I love the idea of Jeff bringing that eighties piece of, you know, the, the Mazzucchelli, the daredevil, the Frank Miller, the Batman year one, all that stuff that was so formative for comic readers of our, of our respective ages. Jeff's a a peer of all of ours uh, age wise. So uh, and also it's worth noting that um, he's made it very clear that this is not just a one off to tell that kind of story that Skull Digger is going to play a very important role in the Black Human universe going forward. Um, so much as Lucy is the new Black Hammer and she's the shining beacon of hope and, and good and the conventional, let's say, the Superman uh, Skull Digger is going to be the, the dark foil to her, uh, you know, let's say the Batman. So so from a import perspective. This is a character that Jeff's telling us and telegraphing is going to be very important. And this is, in essence, uh, our introduction to them. So come along for the ride if you haven't already. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Oh, damn. This issue was in the last box. What? I wanted to, I forgot to say, to say this when I was talking it's about la- Last God. When you're going through issue three, keep your eyes peeled. Somebody in the pre press. Forgot to take off a safe area guide. There's a dotted line around the whole page on one of the one of the pages. It sticks out like a sore thumb. You know what a safe area Ooh. guide is, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's blatant. It's 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 the only page in the issue that has this dotted rectangle uh, around it. It's like what? Um, I'm sure it'll be taken out for the collected edition, but in the single issues, it's there. Somebody screwed up somewhere. Mm. Look at that. Dang. Right. All right, everybody. Hey, hey to cut this one short, but thank you for being here with us. We love you so much. Be here next time. If you want more of this, you know where to go. Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, Patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. We are there for you. We hope you'll be there for us because it's a family, right? Uh, in the meantime, say goodnight. I'm not going to tap YYZ anymore. <laughs> ever. Ever. Da- ever. David. Mm. Good night. You really not going to tap? Nope. Not going to do it. Ever, ever, ever again. That's crazy. There are certain things you just got to let go. David. Nice. All right, everybody. That's it. We're gone. Come back next time. Um, what? In two days? Right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Another one this week. You get two. Don't thank two. us. Thank the patrons because they're the people that make this happen. Um, we will be back. We love you so much. Go do fun things with your family. Say bye. Laters. Say bye.